Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. I was, you know, uh, just before the service, we were reflecting on the father-daughter ball, the last thing, right? The last thing we did in here that was normal. And then little did we know within 24 hours, things would be changing and shifting. And, and we don't even know, you know, what's the... Will it go back to normal? Maybe we just get a new normal. I don't know. This is starting to feel normal. Some of you are like, don't say that. But it's starting, right? We don't totally know. It's been a whirlwind. And I know now school is starting, and that's been a whirlwind, right? And things are changed, and masks, and no masks, and there's fears, and social distancing, and how do we adjust? And yet I, I have to remind us, and maybe you know this already, maybe I'm reminding myself, but God isn't done with us yet. You know, something I said earlier in the year, I think I might have even preached it or I said it somewhere, I don't know, I, I talk a lot, um, <laughs> maybe too much. <laughs> uh, but something I had, uh, I had said and, and that I've been, the Lord had been impacting me on it and he had challenged me on my devotional time, which is, you know, he has the power. Sometimes you wonder, why does he allow us to struggle? Like, why does he keep us here? Paul asked that same question. I mean, he understood that, right? It'd be better for me if I go. He was longing for another place. He was longing for his forever home. Um, and yet, you know, it's within God's power. Think about it. It's within his power the second you became a believer. It is in his power and the scope of his authority to be able to say, come straight here to heaven with me. Now it's time. You chose me. I already chose you. I predestined you. Now come and be with me for eternity. And yet, he doesn't do that, does he? And so if he's left us here... I will leave us with this thought, and that is because he is not done with us, and he is not done with you, and he's not done with me. If he has left us here, he does nothing on accident, but everything he does is for a purpose. And I would say, what I always love about the Lord is everything he does is for multiple purposes as he works out his plans and purposes and will on the earth. And if you are here today and are a believer, he has left you here for a reason. He has a purpose, a plan, and a mission for you. And that leads right into what we're going to be talking about uh, this weekend and also now for the next few weeks at least. And we're going to be talking about the church. You know, before I get there, I just want to, um, just want to acknowledge Pastor Lauren and Jenny. They came here a year ago and, by the way, didn't sign up for that. They were going to be preaching a lot. And then we went through all the turmoil and summer was hard. And did not Pastor Lauren do an incredible job? Yeah. For such a time as this, you know, he came here and he didn't know, right? He was moving away from the pulpit ministry, going more into, into pastoral, and he does an amazing job there. Uh, him and Jenny both are very pastoral. If you've met them, if you haven't met them, you should meet them. They're wonderful people. But, uh, but then look, then he's now preached how many times in a row? And I think God knew what we would need when we would need it, and he made sure we had what we needed. And he's going to continue doing that because it's like him to be that way. And he doesn't stray from his core principles of who he is, and I love that about him. So I love the way Pastor Lauren ended last week's message. I mean, preaches that wonderful series and then ends it with leaving us with that headless body picture. Do you remember that? <laughs> he had us meditating on a, a body without a head, and don't picture it too long. And I'm like, now it's in my mind, Lauren. It's too late. But, you know, the, the point he was making on... I mean, a body doesn't work without a head. You need to have a head over a body in order for the body to function. 
And he was referring to the body of Christ, and he was referring to the church, and that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. The church. What is the church? What is God's plan for the church? What is my role in the church, other than attending a service and worshiping and maybe going to a cell, right? Like, what is my role in the church? Do I have a a role in the church, or is that just for someone who works at a church? Good questions. Throughout the New Testament, the church is talked about, I mean, probably more than almost anything in the New Testament, uh, but Jesus says right from the beginning, we have Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I love that. Oop, got to skip one more here. There we go. I'll be in tune. This is my comfort blanket. I like doing my own slides. They do a wonderful job. The volunteers do a better job. I just... You know you get used to something that's in your hand? Click, click. Anyways. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love that. This is from the beginning. Jesus has this plan. He's got a plan for the church, and he said the gates of hell is not going to be able to prevail against it. And yet the, the wild thing about that statement is he's talking about Peter. Peter's not perfect. He's going to make this church of a bunch of imperfect people, men and women that call upon his name, but they're going to be just as regular as everyone else in the world, just as broken. And he's going to take these people and turn them into a church that the gates of hell are not going to be able to prevail against. And I think that's special. Paul, in talking about the mystery of God revealed through the church, he has enthusiasm and excitement as he's talking about it. We wonder where that's coming from. He says, of the I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." Interesting. So we're told here, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So he's talking about there's a mystery. God had a, had a secret, essentially. There was a secret that he had from the beginning of time, in fact, before time, before he even did, did the creation, that nobody knew even in the heavenly realms. Only him. He had a plan. He had a plan, and it was a mystery that was now, after Jesus being revealed to the world and to the heavenly realms, through the church. Interesting, isn't it? Right? So he has this glory that he wants to display on the earth through the church, and he even wants to display this glory in the heavenly places through the church. It's interesting. I think, you know, you, you wonder sometimes, you read Paul in Colossians, you'll find a very similar account. I mean, he just seems to talk about this mystery in the church with excitement any chance he gets. I wonder sometimes if myself or us or the Western church or the church in general, have we lost some of that enthusiasm? Have we lost some of that excitement for the church? Maybe we've been disappointed by the people that make up the church. It happens. Maybe we get caught up in the busyness of church, right? In the programs and events and what am I getting out of it? And sometimes we forget to stop and step back for a moment and realize that the church was this, there was this mystery of God, which we're going to get onto right away, is this mystery of God, this plan 
this perfect plan that he contrived, came up with before the foundations of the earth were set, and he put this into motion, and this mystery was going to be revealed through the church to bring glory to his name. I think that's incredible. But again, before we get uh, really start describing what is the mystery, so why is Paul so excited about the church? Because I think that's a good question to ask. Because maybe we can start, you know, bringing back some of that excitement and enthusiasm for the church when we look at it the way Paul was looking at it. But the first question is, what is the church? So when we talk about church, what are we talking about? If I, I looked it up in the dictionary, I wanted to see what the dictionary said, and the dictionary says, and I quote, the church is a Christian building used for worship, or a building used for Christian worship. That's the quote. Okay, it's a building. Well, if I would go into Steinbeck right now, we're in Steinbeck, so if I would go from, out from here, or if we would all together and kind of raid the town, mind you, in Steinbeck, most people would be in church right around now, but um, on a Saturday maybe, right, Saturday afternoon, we go there and we start talking to people and we'd say, what comes to mind when I say the word church? What do you think people would say? Building, yeah, probably. They'd probably start describing a building. They might start describing the church that they go to, Right? I mean, we would talk about Southland Church. We would talk about the Big Cross. Others might talk about Emmanuel Church or a different church. And there's lots of good churches. And, and, you know, others that are unchurched, they might just describe a building like, well, I saw there was a church and they have a steeple or, you know, building cross. And yet I know if I would really dive down and start asking believers, most believers know it's more than a building. I would say most would say, well, yeah, I mean, it's the building, but it's not just the building. I mean, the church is the people inside the building. And we get that to a point. But I think sometimes we lose some of the significance of it, and that's what we're going to be focusing on. So in the scriptures, what are the two main ways we see the term church being used? Uh, first one is the local church. By the way, when you hear local church, were any of you here when Apostle Alex was here? <laughs> when I said local church, did all of you feel like I said it wrong? It's local church. <laughs> I love Apostle Alex. So anyways, but I can't even read local church without hearing his voice. <laughs> he said it, I don't know, about 200 times in that message and uh, really built up a love in me for the local church. He has a, he has a gift there. Anyways, when the term local church is, is used, it's not referring to a building. Like we might think of the local church, like this would be one of the local churches. In scripture, it's used to describe a region. Right, so this is from Corinthians, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the church of God that is in Corinth. It's in Corinthians, right? So he's speaking to a regional church. So that's how that local church was used in the biblical times. Now, we don't use it that way anymore, and I don't think that's wrong. Uh, it's probably due to denominationalism. I'm not going to open that can of worms right now. But uh, that's probably why, because we don't all identify necessarily as part of, I mean, we're all Christian churches, but we're, we have different, some of our core beliefs and foundational beliefs are different. So we don't identify in regions like that. We, we identify often more as denominations. But enough of that, that's how it's used in Scripture. The local church referred to regions. So if we were to talk in biblical terms that way, we might talk about the church of Steinbeck or the church of southeastern Manitoba, right? We would speak of the church in that, in that kind of language, in that kind of tone. Uh, but the other way that it's used is to describe uh, the universal church. So that's talking about the body of Christ. So the global body of Christ. We are all part of the universal church, all believers over all time, everywhere in the world, uh, make up that universal body of Christ. Now, interestingly enough, 
the word church is never used to describe a building in the Bible, never once. It's not used to describe a building. And you know, in the Old Testament, it's used to describe a building. But the word church is not ever used to describe a building, and that's probably because the word used for church, ecclesia, which means a gathering or assembly. It isn't a place. It isn't a thing. It is a grouping of people. That is what church is. It's a grouping of people where two or three are gathered. That is church. That is church. So we are the church. And this is important. When I say, what is the church? We answer with, help me out. We are the church. People, not a building. This is important. Now, I don't want us to get weird with this. And now anytime someone says, uh, what church do you go to? Well, I, I mean, I go to that building. It's, no, you can still say, I go to Southland Church. That's accurate. We can still say that that's how we've used it for a long time. I just sometimes, though, you know, we have these just ways that we answer for years and years and years, but we don't realize that it actually instructs our behavior. Because when I think of church in terms of a place that I go to, it's also a place that I can leave. Right? If I went to church this morning, I'm going to go home later and then I'm no longer at church. You following? But if church is people, if we are the church, then we don't leave church. We are the church. There are attributes and identifiable markers of what it means to be the church that should be true of us, whether we are gathered in this particular building, whether we are at home, whether we're at work, whether we're at school, wherever we go, those attributes should be seen within our lives. And we're going to spend a chunk of time on that in later messages. This one's more of just foundational, getting the right thinking about the church. So turn to someone next. I, I, I need some active engagement. If you're at home, you can do this by yourself or to your cat. <clears throat> turn to someone next to you and say, we are the church. We are the church. Do it again. We are the church. Now you can point your finger because it's not nice to point, but this time you can say, you are the church. <laughs> you are the church. There we go. Do it. It's okay. It's okay. And now lastly, let's do this one together. I am the church. I am the church. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. At home, let that sink in. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church. The mystery of God, this plan that was contrived in the heart of God himself and was a mystery for thousands of years that was going to be revealed through the church. He saw you and he wanted you to be a part of revealing that mystery, not just on the earth, but even in the heavenly realms. He has purpose for you. There is purpose and meaning for each of our lives. It's not an accident, as some may think or tell you. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, look at this. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. <laughs> you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Individually, I love that. You and then individually. You're saying the same thing twice. Why? Because it's important for you and for me to understand something, that it's not something I just go to. It's something I am a part of. I have a role. Something we've said here for years, everyone a minister. I think it's, it's been one of those core values that's kind of made our church special, one of, one of many. But everyone a minister, and that's why we've, you know, our last um, uh, volunteer extravaganza, those are always fun. You have 1,600 people show up. 
Why, that's 1,600 of you that have said, I am a minister, I am a part of the church. I love that, I love that, but I never wanna lose that. And it's so easy to lose things if we don't focus on it. So easy to lose things as the chaos of the world grows and it changes and the storm clouds hover. It's easy to lose the ground that we've gained. But I don't think we're gonna do that here, are we? Never. Thanks, Ken. We have a role in being the church wherever we go. We are the church. Okay, I gotta move on here for the sake of time. All right. In the weeks to come, I'm gonna unpack what it actually means to be the church. So what it means, because if we have a role, if we're individually members of it, then it actually has an impact on our lives. There's things that we need to do, action that we need to take. And I love that. But first I wanna go back to the beginning. Paul was really excited about the church. He was really excited about the plan of God revealed through the church. Why? Some of you might know this already. <laughs> but others of you, have you ever thought about it? Paul, I mean, in the, in the one verse, I'm trying to think of the reference, he said, as, you know, a Hebrew of Hebrew, right, of the tribe of Benjamin, as to the law, a Pharisee. What am I getting at? I'm getting at Paul was already part of the people of God. They already had the temple. In that temple was the Holy of Holies and the presence of God was there. They worshiped God in his, in his house. They worshiped God in his house. He already had that. He knew the law. He had the law. They'd had it for a long time. So what is he so excited about with the church? What changed? So what's so different about the now than, than the then, than what they already had? Well, I'm glad you're asking that because I was asking that earlier in the week. This mystery, what is he so excited about? Well, let's look at this together. The mystery revealed in the church. What Paul is so excited about is he understood the old covenant and how the old covenant worked. But he understood this, this mystery now that's going to be revealed through the church is actually the new covenant. The new covenant was going to be on display through God's people, his body, the church. And that meant some very, very distinct things had changed. And we're going to look at three. The first one is adoption. You know, it's interesting with, uh, with Christians, if you look at early history, by the way, it's uh, church buildings, it's not bad. As long as we have a building, let's use our building. But the church is more than a building. It's, it's people, it's us. And the beautiful thing about that is it means you can't stamp out the church by shutting down a building. That should be very encouraging to us, right? That's why when COVID hit and we had to shut our building, I didn't panic. I thought, okay, we're going to have to be careful to make sure we don't slip away. We still need to connect. Obviously, we need to be able to gather. We used online methods and all that kind of stuff, but it's a gathering of people. There was no buildings actually until sometime in the 200 ADs. That was part of the reason why it was such a hard thing to stamp out. People were the church. So the Romans actually were very open and they accepted all sorts of people and religions into their into their own religions. I mean, they accepted the Jews, Judaism, and Judaism even rejected their gods, but they were okay with it. Why? They were okay with it because Jews were exclusive to their ethnicity. So Jews were Jews, and they believed in the Jewish God, and the Romans were fine with that. Christians were different. They were different because they were inclusive. That's one of our defining traits that we've always had or should have is our inclusivity. Everyone was welcome. Didn't matter what you believed, didn't matter what color you were, didn't matter, none of that stuff mattered. What mattered is you were created in the image of God and only through Jesus could you have eternal life. That's all that mattered. And they would go around and tell everyone that. 
But because of that, the Romans hated them. They tried to stamp them out because part of accepting Jesus as your savior, 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 was rejecting other gods and religions because they would cling to Jesus alone. So anyhow, adoption into God's family for Jew and Gentile. To Paul, this was revolutionary. It was radical. It was different. Peter too, right? He needed the, the sheet dropped three times for him to fully understand it. This was different. God was now adopting all of mankind, all of creation. He was going to reconcile to himself through the church. This is part of the plan, the mystery. Incredible. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Look at that. Predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. It says earlier, I think it's verse uh, 2, it says, before he set the foundations of the world, he did this. This was a well thought through plan. I think that's incredible. He wanted to adopt us into his family. But we'll go to, I want to get to the the third one here, so I've got to speed up. Uh, Second, forgiveness and cleansing of all of our sins. This was also a big change with this mystery that was now being revealed in, in the church with the new covenant. Because under the old way, they had to do sacrifices for sin. And it says, look here in Hebrews 10, but in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But when Christ had offered up for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's us. So just these first two things already were so revolutionary and different. This is part of why Paul's like, oh, guys, the mystery of God. This is the plan through all the ages that no one knew, even in the heavenly realms. It was hidden and is now being revealed in Christ. And now he's choosing us, his church, his body. And he wants to use us to reveal this mystery to the world and to the heavenly realms. Isn't that incredible? You need to meditate on that a little bit more. I had the, the, the joy of doing it from Thursday on. So my excitement was building, and I'm easily excitable. You might, <laughs> you might have known that about me already. <laughs> All right, number three, and this is the one where we're going to park on for a little bit. Gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38, look at this. It says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Pause. That's what we were just talking about, for the forgiveness of your sins, and that's often what we focus on when we're talking about salvation. Right? Jesus died so that we could have forgiveness of sins. That is true. But that's only part of the truth. That's only part of the truth. He died and we did get forgiveness of sins, yes. But we also got the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going I'm to really start, we're going to unpack that together and why that was so significant and why, to Paul, this was mind-blowing. This was a major shift from what the Jews knew beforehand about God and, and his intention to interact with his people. So this is, this is a major shift, and this is, I, I would say it's part of why Paul was very, very excited. It might have been one of the bigger reasons. He was so excited. Under the old covenant, what the, what the Jews had was a temple. It talks lots about God wanting them to build a temple, and then building a temple, and then it would be destroyed, and then they would have the tent. Anyhow, the point was, the, the temple, the tent, was a place for God to dwell. And we find Scripture, Scripture is very clear, God's desire from the beginning was to dwell with man. Okay, dwell with man, right? So he would go and be with them. Deuteronomy, and I'm I'm parking on that phrase because it's going to change in a moment. You're going to see what happened with the new covenant. 
You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, but you are to seek the place of the Lord your God that he will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. So the Lord was going to come down to a place of his choosing where he would dwell, and he was telling them that's where they were supposed to go, and the Jews would come from all over to worship God at his temple. It was very important at his temple. That's where God was. Exodus 25 Verse 8, they, uh, then have them make a sanctuary for me and, and I will dwell among them. That's amazing, isn't it? Now in this temple you had different layers and we'll just focus on right before the most holy place you had the holy place and then you had the most holy place. And this is important because in the most holy place inside the temple no one could go except for the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he would go in there through the veil. There was a veil there that was separating the holy place from the most holy place. And that veil, if you can imagine it, I was looking it up, they said it was actually layers of fabric that would have been about three feet deep, which is an interesting thought. That's a lot of fabric. But it would have been bluish and purple, and there was cherubim on there. You'll see that description in the Old Testament. And it was to signify as you would work your way through this labyrinth of fabric and get into the most holy place, you were entering in. The cherubim guarded the very presence of God. They were there with God. The Ark of the Covenant was there. The high priest only went there once a year on the Day of Atonement. This was special. No one else could go in there. So what happened in the New Testament? What happened when Jesus died? That's a good question. Matthew, Matthew 27, 51 here and says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I like the, the last part of this verse. The tombs were also open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Meditate on that one tomorrow in your devotions. And just try to put yourself in that story. Can you imagine seeing that? That must have been bizarre. Anyways, but back to the first part. This is the part I really want you to focus on. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. So from top to bottom, what happened? That curtain, that veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place where the presence of God resided. That veil was torn, signifying the old covenant was, was done away with, right? Now we had the new covenant. And what's special about this with the new covenant is that the temple was no longer going to be a place built with hands, not human hands anyways. The new temple would be living inside of the heart built by God's hands. And the very Holy Spirit of God would reside in man. Where before he dwelt with man, now he was going to dwell in man. Do you see the difference? Are you getting a little excited? Come on, you must be entering in. This has got to be Christ in us. Paul talks about the hope of glory. Christ in us. Think about that. Why would God ever want to do that? And yet this was his major plan. This was it. This was the plan that was hidden for all time that was revealed in Christ Jesus and is now being revealed through his body, the church. You, you at home, and me. It's our job, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Oh, let that sink in. Earlier, right before that verse earlier, he's talking about sexual immorality when we sin and how we should stay clear of it. And he says, do you not realize that the very temple of God, the Holy of Holies, is now inside of you? It matters how you live. It matters what you do. 
It matters how you represent the name by which you are called. It matters. Do you not know that the body, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify your body. Glorify God, sorry, in your body. I love that. I love that. So we are the church. Yes, absolutely. We are. We are the church. But we're also the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's now living in us. And this is why, you know, when COVID hit and the building was shut down, I I wasn't worried because, again, the church isn't a building, it's people. Now you might say, yeah, but are you saying that the building isn't important? No, I'm not saying that. We've had many years of enjoying this building, and I hope we have many more years to enjoy it. And there's something, you know, there's something to the gathered church. When we're together, it's different than online, isn't it? And for you online, I'm glad you can join us. I totally get it. And sometimes there's, there's many reasons why I had to go online all of August. Totally get it. But you come here and the worship, the things you feel when you're gathered, where two or three are gathered. I know the temple of God is within us, but there's something about the gathering, the physical gathering of believers that you feel God's presence in a way that you just otherwise can't. And I know he also makes a way for those who just simply can't. And I'm not saying there's no way. Obviously, yes, if you're at home, you have, you have reasons to be there. I, I totally get that. God is with you too. We are the church. But we are the church. We, believers. I want you to focus on this. We, believers. That's us. And if you're in here and you're not a believer, if you're watching online and you're not a believer, the invitation is open. It's for all. For all who desire. For all who believe. But we are the church, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we are his plan for displaying his glory on the earth and in the heavenly realms. I want you just to close your eyes just for a minute, maybe less. What are the things you fear sometimes inside? Sometimes worry that you're not enough. Sometimes wonder if you're going to make a difference on this earth, if there's a plan for your life. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, Jesus knew you before the beginning of the, of the earth. You know what it says in Jeremiah 1, verse 5? Before I formed you in the womb, just let this sink in. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Do you ever feel like nobody understands? Nobody gets who you really are? The Lord says, before I formed you in the womb, I didn't just know your name. I knew you. Which means he knew all of the sin you would commit. He knew all of your weaknesses. He knew the good, the bad, the ugly. He knew it all. I want you to think about this. Just keep your eyes closed and just think about this. Can you imagine... You're about to build a a house. You're about to build a a building. And you look at the blueprint and someone shows you there is a major flaw in your design. Like this isn't going to work. It's broken. Would you go ahead and build that building still? I know what I would do. I would discard those blueprints and I'd start over. Yet Jeremiah says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, I knew your name. In Ephesians, before I set the foundations of the earth, I predestined you for adoption. I made a way. 
This is the mystery. This is the mystery of God that no one could have guessed because it's so opposite of any, any way that anyone else could ever think. But he chose you and he chose me and he chose all who would call upon his name that we would be a part of his body, the church. You might say, but I don't have anything to offer. And that is precisely the point. That's why he says the veil was torn. I tore that veil because I knew you didn't have much to give and that's okay. I'll give you my Holy Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that'll be your seal of redemption. And that'll also be, I'll empower you to do everything that I ask you to do so that you will be able to stand with confidence one day when you stand before me. We're going to sing the final song together, but can I get you to stand? I want to pray over you. I want to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because who is the church? We are the church. And we, the church, need the indwelling Holy Spirit if we're ever going to bring glory to his name. If you want, you can hold your hands out like this, and I just want to pray for you. Lord, there is so much mystery. Why would you... I mean, I think of myself personally. Why would you see me and all of my mistakes and choose to make me anyways? There is a love that you have for us that we cannot fathom. Today, Lord, we recognize that you didn't just want us to live a life for us, but you actually have a purpose for each one of us. That you invite us to become a part of your body. That is incredible that we would be the extensions of your hands and feet on the earth. But this will only be possible with your Holy Spirit. So today we humbly ask, all we can do, we can't earn your spirit. We can't earn grace. All we can do is receive it and ask. So we humbly ask, your sons and daughters, would you fill us today with your Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, would you breathe in this place? Would you stretch out your hands? Would you heal our hearts? The angst, the bitterness, the hurts inside, would you heal them? For the honor and glory of your kingdom, would you empower us to go in love? Would you empower us to be reflections of who you are wherever we go? Empower us to persevere. We give up so easily. Teach us to persevere. And give us your joy and peace as we trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.